evening afterwards. But I will say, we can't afford not to record. We own the road. So you can hear, I think, a little bit this time. There's a little bit of road noise. There's actually things going on because we're recording from Tesla. Out on the highway. I can say Tesla, not, not, not your Tesla. Out on the highway. Uh, West 90, we're at the 78 mile mark, and we're heading towards St. Paul, Minnesota. St. Paul, Minnesota, for our youngest brother's first child's christening. That should be happening tomorrow. Now, is there a difference between christening and a baptism? Well, I imagine, because both my children were christened, too. Is It's a promise of the parents to have a faith led child rearing process. Did you take the champagne bottle and slap it against Very the similar, but this time you just <laughs> sprinkle them with some oil. Uh, but a baptism is an actual, like, they dip you as an adult into the water uh-huh. symbolizing a new birth after becoming a Christian. So there would be a difference between those two. And now, this is an interesting way to go. It, it kind of got off the tracks already. My thinking was we were going to spend this part of the trip talking about getting here so far. Because it was been a planes, trains, and automobile style trip. Oh, it's been interesting. So we took a flight out of Roanoke. Yep. And I got to say, I like Roanoke's airport. I always have. It's well, small. It's quick. They get you on. They get you in. They get you out. Twenty miles from the house. It's 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 close. It's perfect. Um, but it also and last night they reiterated this. This is not a hub, y'all. Yeah. You get on this plane and go, or go home. Yeah. Go to your uh, your your connecting flight and then figure it out from there. If you stay here, you ain't gonna get out of here. So last night we didn't get. Exactly the, the trip we had planned. Yeah, because we were supposed to connect in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Go from Charlotte straight to Madison, Wisconsin. And we instead... Mi- we missed our connecting flight due to delays. Right. So... And these delays all caused by this kind of extreme weather that we're dealing with right now. And, and globally. And so there were delays in a lot of places. So we had had that issue. We're at the flight. We go ahead and we get on the plane, get down to Charlotte. In Charlotte, that's our first indication that trips are canceled, gates are moved, everybody's going different places. And we're told in Charlotte, hey, uh, we're going to fly into Reagan International Airport. Well, I, I, I think see you're calling it Reagan again. Yeah, well, I was going to say, at first, I thought that uh, our flight was just delayed. We we're still going to go straight to Madison. Until, you know, I guess I dug further into it and I'm like, oh crap, you know, we're going to DC for a connecting flight. And then we have an eight hour layover in DC uh, to go from DC to Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm oblivious to all of it. Because I don't I don't have any tickets. This is all digitally done on your phone. Yeah. And so I'm just like there. Uh following along with whatever you're, you're saying. And it reminds me a lot of that time that I came and helped you that summer cutting grass. So you and Sean had a grass cutting business on Fort Lee. And I'm in college at this point. So you're in high school. He's in middle school. 
and I'm in college. So I'm clearly older, taller than these guys. And I come and I help cut some grass. And the owner of the house comes out and comes to talk to me. Because I'm the oldest. You know, this is a grown man here. He's 20-some years old. So she asked me about, you know, what it's going to cost. I go, I don't know. Talk to them. And I point to the high school kid. And then she looks at me. Not just high school. I was a freshman. I was ninth grade. Yeah, I got the same problem as my middle child. Like, ninth grader, she still looks like she's. Yeah. Could be in elementary school. (laughs) Oh. And I, I think she decides it then that this was a Rain Man style situation. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, not Tom Cruise. So she, <laughs> she goes, okay, I'll go cover with him. And then she walks off like, man, that baby just, <laughs> just missed my intelligence, I guess, or just doesn't think I'm capable. I mean, she was right because I wasn't capable, but. Uh, it was an uncomfortable feeling, and I, I get—I felt that way several times on this trip too. When like you go to put your ticket, and I had to like stand next to you, and then you swipe your phone the second time. Uh, they're like, "Oh, bless his heart." Uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm a self-conscious. Uh, on the trip back, I'm just gonna wear a name tag that if lost, find Brian. Get you some wins. <laughs> I was in the cockpit. I think this could have some advantages if I play it all the way out. Uh, so I, I'm unaware of this. This is where we left off. We ended up with a whole new flight added in and a whole new destination. Ronald Reagan Airport, Dallas. Yeah, and, and I would say, because um, we actually we paid a little extra so that we could choose our seats, so that we're sitting, sitting next to each other. And my biggest thing is I do not want to sit rear of the plane. Like I you don't get much recline on those seats, but having no recline is miserable. Uh, and so at the end we ended up in the last two seats on the plane. Absolutely no recline. Right next to the toilet. Yes. And I I'd never been this far back in a plane before. The the um, flight attendant also sits in like a rumble seat that rolls out between the two seats. Uh, so this was a four-person row, five-person row that ended up happening again. Yeah, is the five of us ended up sitting there uh, in the seat. It was really wild. So it's been an uncomfortable bit of, of traveling down. But we're here. We're on the road. We're yeah. setting up. And we're making some recordings. Yeah. Well, and also. Uh, Spending the night in Washington, D.C. airport was miserable. Like, there was nowhere to, to to lay down. And it almost looked like a homeless shelter in there. You know, and, you know there were people laid out on the floor, uh, laying underneath the seating. That, that part I don't, I can't figure out. Is how, knowing that people come in at all times of night, knowing that flights get delayed, that there are those kind of issues. Why none of the seating is set up so that you can take a nap. You know, I mean, all of the bench seats had the little bar in between them, like welded in, so yep. you couldn't raise sit it. next to the next person or raise it out of the way and make three seats into a, a bed. None of them had a footrest. None of them reclined. It just was not built for 
taking a minute to relax between trips, much less a layover. And just as I was starting to think, oh, well, maybe that's just how airplanes have to do it, we land in Duluth. Not Duluth, Madison. We land in Madison. And Madison does have these spaces. Yes. They have couch setups. They've got uh, areas where two seats are next to each other so you could lay down. And granted, this is a way smaller airport than Dulles. Yes. But all the people that were there laid out all over Dulles could have easily fit in to the Madison airport and at least had a nice sleep. place to sleep. Yes. Well, we came down, and we came down specifically for a political protest to meet some folks from my union. From your union. Yeah, because uh, we're uh, currently almost two, year, two and a half years into uh, negotiations with our company for a fair labor contract. They've been stalled. So we're just trying to, we've been trying to get them to meet, and they haven't. So it actually came to the point where uh, my company we actually went on strike Man. due to uh, unfair labor practices. All right. And so additional forces coming out for the strike. And when we go out there, there's a pretty serious political process going on. Yeah. But it's not just isolated. So your groups out there are strong. They're good numbers. They're doing their protest. Uh, immediately behind us, there's a woman topless yep. protesting abortion rights. To her right, two steps is a man protesting uh, teaching of evolution. Say he's a anti-evolutionist. And so this is just a a very interesting kind of mix of conglomerate folks. And in fact, that, like, I left the protest to go talk to those folks. But even still, it seemed like everybody was welcoming the dialogue. It wasn't a, oh, I'm not going to talk to you, yada, yada, yada. You know, I believe this. I'm no room for input. But you know what surprised me, though? What? Is, yes, that is exactly how I saw it, too. But I don't know that anybody is happy. So even though we are exercising free rights because people think they're still losing like your folks aren't getting the meetings that they want yeah. the uh roe v wade is, has been overturned uh-huh. and we restricted rights on women uh we're not going to go back to teaching creationism in high schools nobody there has gotten what they want and so even though the process of making their voice heard is actually very very peaceful a lot of folks there are still angry by what the world looked like and saw enemies out that were preventing them from making change. Are you, now you feel like they they're sawing enemies out or do you feel like they're bringing awareness? I think we see enemies sometimes that aren't there. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and, and in having that conversation, because I'm, I'm Christian, strong Christian, and so going to the evolutionist place, I was really curious about it because, and I, but I think I figured it out when I was talking to them. There's, there's a belief that people believe in evolution. And there may be people that believe in evolution, like they don't understand it. They don't see it as particularly useful in the scientific world. It is a, it's a belief the same way I believe in God. I don't really need evidence. I don't need 
substance. It yeah. is its own substance. The belief that, that we came from monkeys. Right. I, I understand it. I don't know if I believe it. Like, right now, the best You don't believe that we evolved? I do. But it is not a belief of mine. Well, what is it? That's, I think <laughs> this is, this piece of conversation is where I, where the next step is with uh, the anti-evolutionists. Because evolution is not a religion for me. Evolution is the best understanding of the evidence we have. If the evidence changes, I will change my mind. That is not the truth with my religious faith. If the evidence changes, I will change what the evidence says to keep my religion. And I think his belief is that's what atheists are doing. Atheists believe there is no God, and evolution proves that there is no God. I just, you're right. I believe in science, like uh, Nacho Libre. Um, but I don't understand why one would stop the belief in the other. Like, for me, that part doesn't make any sense. And the example I gave him was testing drugs on monkeys or mice requires this understanding that there is a connection between the two biologically that is explained by the theory of evolution. So if I believe I can do drug testing on mice and those same results could happen to human beings, part of that belief is based on evolution being true. So as a scientific matter, evolution makes sense. And it's helpful in progressing things. But it's not a code of morals. That's, that's the other part that he was working on is... We need religion for morality. Okay. And so, like, the reason that I'm... Uh, so, was his... Uh, his anti-evolution just kind of a, a bait to reel you in on about the fact that we need more religion? That's what I was curious about. But in the end, this is how he became religious. His people had this conversation with him about evolution. And this change in his mind about evolution brought him to God. And so now he's out offering the same change to other people. That's all it is. That's his particular slice on being, you know, spreading the gospel. And so for some people, it doesn't, like for me, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know what evolution has to do with spreading the gospel at all. But for him, that's part of what changed his mind. That's how he was taught. Because that's how he was taught. So he's got a, it's his school of thought, it works for him. And there are other people that it's going to work for that are like him. So then I go, okay, now I get it. Not my cup of tea, but I get it. But I get it. You know, brew it and enjoy it, man. Uh, that part makes sense to me. And also that he really didn't, when I when I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you know, I checked all the other little Christian boxes. So they, they check you. <laughs> I don't know if they check me on purpose, but they they ask you, they ask you things because they 
don't want there to be a difference in Christianity between spiritualism and Christianity. Okay. So in Christianity, you are saved because of Christ. Uh -huh. God has created an intermediate between you and the world, and that is your salvation. It's Jesus. Uh -huh. That's it. That's the answer. That's all it takes. Believe okay. in Christ, you're saved. Uh, how do you get deeper into that reinforcement? You read your Bible. That's it. Really, nothing else to it. And so sometimes they'll ask, well, how do you commune with God? My answer was, most of the time, I'll just read my Bible. They're like, okay, yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> um, but there'll be people who are like, I go out in the woods and I commune with nature. But related to a more spiritual aspect. Well, I think people seek peace of mind. So, like, if your home life is stressful and your work life is stressful, going and sitting in a park somewhere lets you separate from that stress and focus on you. But the focusing on you is what you're really talking about. And then, for me, using biblical frames what I'm thinking about in a way I can talk to other people. And so that's, that, that answer worked. Like, so it's clear I'm Christian talking to you. At that point, it no longer became necessary to convince me evolution didn't exist. I'm allowed to believe in evolution and believe in Jesus. It, it doesn't matter to him anymore. So this really is about targeting a specific group of people who need evolution not now in order to believe in God. Which again, so you letting him know you're okay with both. Yes. Uh, that didn't do anything for him. What do you mean do anything? He for still him? needs that, that argument in order to teach the way he was taught. He doesn't he doesn't care about me anymore. Like this not his target audience. Yeah, okay. Right. I am not his target audience at all. And in fact, I could probably I could become a little dangerous to his belief in some places. So I might even need to back off on that. Because hinging your your faith belief, so I believe in Jesus because evolution is false, becomes problematic. Because then what if you find out evolution is real? Because all of a sudden they dig up the missing link. You get that one piece of evidence you need. Does that then negate your previous statement? If A because B, well, now A is no longer true because A be no longer true. So that becomes problematic tying those things in together. That that's got to that conversation a little bit, backed out of that. Um, but what I think most people are afraid to look at is how good things are right now. What do you mean? We're kind to each other. The fact that he was able to protest next to someone who's topless. Right. Absolutely no real ill will interaction between them. And in fact, when I got over there, there was a pro Trump and an anti Trump guy kind of getting into it. And they had a bad vibe going between them because they were talking without listening. But they were okay with each other. Like nobody was going to come to blows or anything. 
They were just talking past each other. That conversation, I'd like to figure out how to work out. That's a difficult one. It is a difficult one. But I think that's that's the conversation I was most interested in. Like, I want to get over there and really dig into that conversation. Because the guys are talking right past each other. And that's what I still see as the biggest problem, political-wise. We're answering the wrong question if we talk to each other. The conversation we had on Make America Great Again. Do you remember this? Uh, so when non-Republicans, when non-Trump folks hear Make America Great Again, oh, yeah. We believe it means make America like it was when it used to be great, when things were segregated, when things were uh, anti-feminine, when things were limited for other people. But when Republicans or MAGA people here make America great again, they mean stop sitting on your couch and get back to the work of making this a great country like people used to. People used to get out and vote. People used to get out and talk to their neighbor. Now, do you think that same logic can be applied to uh, Jason Aldean's song? Yeah, I think it is applied to Jason Aldean's song. Because yeah, I've seen people post, and they have no idea why uh, someone would see that song as, as offensive. Yes. And what I will also say is what I hear from liberals we have trouble explaining why it's offensive as well. Yes. Especially in terms that conservatives understand. Uh, and then when we figure it out, we come about it mean. And so... Because even though, I guess the, the episode where we actually talked about it, mm-hmm. I had not seen the video yet. I had Because you had actually presented... And to me, I was offended by the lyrics. Yes, I, I as well. Um, but part of the reason is both of us know that guy that's sitting at home cleaning his gun waiting for those not from my town people to show up Yeah, and or, both of us have been at events where people showed up thinking we were the not your town people yes so we know that like excited exci- oh I'm going to shoot me an Antifa yeah. today not wait, in my town. Wait till they pop off. Right. So we've both been in that instance. That is the biggest problem. Is Jason Aldean is not being honest about the problem in his own hometown. He's not being honest about the drug use. He's not being honest about the elder abuse. He's not being honest about the crimes that happen in his own town. And instead of saying, hey, Go look at what you see on the news in those big cities. Yeah. And they want to come to your town and rob. And I I, I dare say, the, the, I had a co-teacher that compared Jason Aldean's lyrics to Ahmed Aubrey when jogging. That is the biggest problem. Is those guys went out looking for people. And then we, we got quiet here. That's a mouse and not a beaver. Okay. Yeah. So there's a large um, roadside attraction style mouse, maybe about eight foot tall, 
dressed in a cowboy outfit. My brother got quiet and hoping because he thought it was a Bucky's Beaver and that we were going to get to stop at a Bucky's on this road trip. If you don't know what a Bucky's is, we've I discovered it through TikTok. No, I don't TikTok. I Instagram. I discovered it because my Instagram feed fed me people going to Bucky's. And then we took a Tennessee trip and found the Bucky's. And I discovered it firsthand and was like, this is awesome. Like, bought the t-shirt. This is awesome. T-shirt blanket. And so, Bucky's is a extremely large rest stop fuel station. Supercharging. Supercharging station. You know, maybe 70, 80 pumps. That was the most amount of uh, Tesla superchargers I had seen. Yes, huge it Tesla. Been about 20. Yes. And so it is a super gas station. So if you're if you're a traveler, this is something I think that is somewhat exciting to you. And I I'd say we're travelers. Given the chance, we're yeah. travelers. Uh hopefully so much so that this isn't the last episode that I wrote. We will have to invest in some lavalier mics. Yes. And so everybody who's listened through me learning to be a sound engineer, I want to say thank you. I'm still working on honing my craft, but I will get better. Now, that being said, we were at Jason Aldean. Yes. We were at the concern for his lyrics. You said it concerned you. Why did it concern you? Um, because it was dismissive of a movement. It, it's pretty much summing up the Black Lives Matter movement to looting and rioting. Yes. Alright, and that yeah. one gets that one gets hard. I don't know how to because if you tell that to someone who likes the Jason Aldean lyric, the first thing they'll say is he didn't say anything about Black Lives Matter. Um, and so it creates you're right, a space you're right. for dismissiveness. Because uh, it, it's coded language. It's it just is. what coded language allows you to do. Yeah. Coded language allows you to talk about something. And I, I, some but, people hear it. Yeah, but you know what? Honestly, I think after reading the lyrics, I saw the video that he made in my mind. And it it was it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Now the video left very little to the imagination. The video had footage of the protests. It, had, it was primarily protest footage. I, now, is it true or not? I heard that it was recreated. The footage was recreated. Some of the footage was recreated. I mean, I'm not certain about that. I know a lot of the footage was live, and in fact, they he had to reshoot the video because some of the footage that he took was used without permission. And so he had to recut the video with that same footage in it, without that footage that he didn't have permission to use. So a lot of it was live footage. What still seriously shocks me is all of that footage was taken from the Trump years. Huh. Is we have not seen that level of protest. We have not seen that level of backlash. We have not seen that level of police-required suppression since 
Trump left office. I don't know how Trump gets away with not accepting blame for this. That still shocks me. Oh, we weren't talking about Trump. We were not. Um, I'll deem be right on over to Trump. Now, I will say uh, what really didn't offend me that uh, I've heard people talk about is the, I guess, the courthouse that they used. Huh. Why not? Um, I felt like it was a reach. I, I feel like they were reaching for uh, you know, a reason to call it racist when I didn't, I didn't need it. It wasn't needed. I, I, I read the lyrics and I knew exactly what it was talking about. And then in my mind, the video that went along with it, I had already seen it. I didn't need to see the video to know that that's where he was going with it. Because uh, I, I, I wouldn't even doubt that they didn't know about the history of the courthouse. Which honestly, which honestly, we could say that that's probably true of most courthouses in the South. Right. But then that gets, for me, that immediately builds up a question. I know you protested in our courthouse. Yes. And you protested our courthouse to remove a Confederate monument. Mm-hmm. How come he gets a pass, but our county doesn't get a pass? Uh, Ask. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think he's getting a pass. If now, if there was a Confederate flag in front of that courthouse, then maybe I, I, I might be offended. Because to me, that it goes hand in hand with that history. It, it's almost like a, a badge of honor. Okay. Because to me, as an American, there's no way you should be flying that flag. I it, it's. It's part of my heritage. I, I, I guess I don't understand it. Um, you are, if you know, we're all Americans. Why would you have a second flag? It it doesn't represent America. In fact, it is literally anti-American. Yes, <laughs> it's literally anti-American. Yes. And I'm saying that I'm from the South. I have the same roots as everybody else. That, I think that still shocks me. What? Because that, um, when, how old were you when you started complaining about the Confederate flag? Uh, honestly, when I got to college. Right. I didn't I didn't really know the history behind it. Right. So, I, I, I did know that um, growing up watching uh, movies like Mississippi Burning, that flag would pop up during scenes that were uncomfortable and uh, no, had tones of racism. Mm-hmm. So I, I I knew that I didn't like that flag because I, I would associate it with Klan activity. Okay. And I would go one step further and say I saw it present or at least the, the lack of its presence visible in our our houses like i never saw a black person with a confederate flag around no family members we go visit people we go see no black person had a confederate flag around even though this was a symbol of the south 
These were all Southern household businesses. Yes. None of them ever had it. How this thing could be so absent from black culture when that wasn't true for anything else. If I went to white households, they had somebody who served in the military. There were military pictures up of those service members, some over the fireplace. You go into black households, we had members who served in the military. There were service pictures up, something over the fireplace. There was that little wooden box with the American flag in it. There was an American flag out on the front porch. All these things I saw in both households, but the Confederate flag I never saw in black households. And so I knew that the generation prior to me didn't like. I heard black folks who are now between 70 and 100, some of them passed, when somebody would drive in on a truck with a Confederate flag on it, referring to it as a redneck truck or a, and almost in a derogatory tone. Because there'd be people that they they loved that were, would probably classify themselves as rednecks that would get out of a beat up truck and go talk to our grandparents that our grandparents would never call a redneck. But somebody showing up with that flag, they might get that same label put on. So I, I think I saw that evidence of it, not just in TV, but in actually how black families in, in southern areas were part of dealt with the Confederate flag. Now, what is your uh, your dealing with it in the Midwest? Uh, well, there's two good dealings with it. I say my, my favorite, my favorite dealing with it was uh, Colonel Butler, big Colonel Butler, Remo. with all the all the all the butt muscles, Remo Butler, which I think he actually became a general. Yeah, all right, General Butler. Yes. Uh, when he, we were at the War College, he used to go to the basketball court when he went to work out and would wear a Confederate flag bandana. Right. Oh. He, he, when I asked him about it, he said to screw up the white boys. Oh. Now, and that may not be a direct quote. So I imagine he's retired by now. So whatever, whatever's out there is out there. He's probably okay. I ain't going to mess up his, his service. Um, but I think I think his direct quote was more, I'm not gonna let them have power with this. Okay. I think that's his direct quote. I think I interpreted it as I'm gonna mess with the white boys to think they've got something in it. And so that that was probably not the not, not the proper way. His more direct quote when I asked him why he wore it was they don't get to have power with this. And so uh I, I doubt anyone messed with him about it. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know if he's as big as I remember him. Well, but also, I, I think that, like in Franklin County, mm-hmm. you know, I would say I, I, I tried to do the same thing. Did you? I did. I went out and purchased one, um, and put it on my truck. You know, driving through town, thinking that it's going to cause ruckus uh-huh. where honestly I think it just made me look ignorant uh, uh, to yeah. black folks. Yeah. Um because white people don't especially in rural Frank County didn't see it as a tool of uh, as a tool of racism. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and I think that's because they weren't. It's a, it's a, it's an ignorance to it, to the history of it. I think that one there is an ignorance, but I think some of that ignorance fed because Franklin County desegregated very calmly. The and I, I think that how well we desegregated created a false sense of everything's okay. Because um, there are a lot of black people who went through the desegregation process who don't talk about it in the same cheery terms that the white folks who went through the desegregation process talk about. So some great things came out of it. We got a member at large, which was a black member specifically put on the school board to help navigate issues of transitioning this 13% into the whole population. The bus routes were expanded to pick up black students. Black students were uh, allowed onto the sports and athletics teams. It's a full integration. But some of the stories we're hearing now from those who participated in the desegregation are about how isolating it was, where they would almost set up classes so there weren't two black people in the same class and you'd end up not seeing each other, which then led to black people kind of seeking each other out because they were in the same school, you know, a year ago, two years ago, and then ending up late to class because then they'd have to, you know, meet somewhere and then get back to their separate classes. And so we got, they got a little bit of this bad term about, you know, black people always showing up late. Now, uh, I like, I'd like to talk a little more about that, uh, about, uh, discomfort. Uh, okay. I, I had that before. Uh, growing up, you know, we we spent majority of our time at majority school, majority white schools. All right, where we were one of maybe two black people in the class. Yes. Where you would kind of look for a black person to to kind of make yourself feel more comfortable. Yes. And then you brought up a story about where we were. Uh, we led a black troop. Led by scouts, uh, yeah, yes, scoutmasters for a, a black troop led by the the actual black American Legion post. So Bethel AME Church, and this was Reverend Ziegler at the time. Yes, discovered she had a charter on hand for Cub Scouts, for, um, and she asked you if you would be a Cub Scout leader. And you came to me and said, "You're in education, you want to be a Cub Scout leader with me?" And so I was like, "All right." And so we started this Cub Scout troop. And we're pretty young at this point. I'm, I'm 25. So that yeah. makes you 22, 23. Yeah. So we're pretty young. Uh, we started a Cub Scout troop. And we got the four or five kids that are in the church there. Yep. And we get the right set of parents in. So at first, we're just dawdling around. We're having meetings in the, in the church once a week. And we're doing the best we can. Then we get some parents in that just up our game. So we get a couple moms in and turn us into an actual Cub Scout troop. We got lesson plans. We're starting to um, <laughs> active know, membership, active membership badges. Kids are earning. We're we're getting promotions. Books are signed. Like we get some moms in that really shake us into into a position where this is a real troop. Once we get to that point, 
now the local organization starts to notice. And at the same time, because we're not just attached to the Bethel AME Church, we're also attached to the American Legion. We have an American Legionnaire who's an Eagle Scout who works at the center, at the Roanoke office for Boy Scouts. She's <coughs> Andre Peary, who also joins the um, the American Legion and starts pushing our troop as well. So now people are, are joining because the word's getting out that we've got the troop we're doing okay. Because yeah, before that, there were troops where like. Burnt Chimney and Boone's Mill, Boone's but Mill. there was not really one in, in Rocky Mountain. Right, and I, I think we were we were really Liam Wade's Boy Scout troop, mm-hmm. uh, and so Liam Wade also was the was the school that was the black elementary, middle, and high school growing up, and is still because it's in town is one of the two schools that holds the most black students, but it's not majority black. But it's not majority black. It's about. Uh, 16 percent it's it's better than like it's less than 20. yeah it's less than 20. the whole the whole town at its highest is about 13 percent we're the highest population for the county we're about eight or nine percent we're really slipping down but we start getting people coming in and so of course getting people coming in means we're no longer just getting black kids we're not just getting the black people from the churches we're not just getting we're getting white kids and sometimes what would happen is parents would come in and they'd come to two or three meetings. The meetings would go great. And then they just stop. And this happens a couple years. And we're sitting talking with one of the parents, one of the moms that really helped make things go. And I, I was asking her, I was like, man, you know, we keep losing scouts every once in a while after the third or fourth meeting. And she just goes, it's because the troops too black. They get uncomfortable. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I started asking <laughs> some of these families after they would leave. You know, yeah, because they'd leave and join the Burnt And would join or... another troop. But see, again, we've got a good mom, so she's kind of on this director's panel. So she's meeting with other troops. So she knows when our kids are leaving and joining another troop. So she's checking in. And it really does get back down to this troop's a little too black for us were uncomfortable as a minority in the troop. And I, I think one, that level of honesty was nice. Like there's there's no way she was gonna fight or yell about that. Because as soon as somebody says it was uncomfortable being a minority to a black person, I think we go, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I I know what you're saying. It is uncomfortable being a minority. And so if you've got the opportunity to go find a majority, sometimes it's okay. I know it hurt us because in a lot of instances, we would lose parents who had skills. Yeah. We'd lose parents who had uh, the capability to be at least part-time leaders. Um, we did those surveys each year for the parents. Like, do you have a truck? If you have any camping experience, we'd lose parents who could have been very helpful. Can you teach badge courses? is one of the things we learned to do with parents right off the bat. Uh, and so that was, it was tough losing those kind of parents, but it was nice having a real reason. Now, do you have an example where you've been uncomfortable as my work as we close out? Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> just one is, is too, 
I mean, I, I spoke about one instance uh, living in, when we lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and teachers could get away with saying racist stuff because there weren't enough of us. We'll close out this this particular episode from yeah. the road, and uh, yeah, and also explain the dinging uh, and uh, is the uh, cruise control being engaged and disengaged. Uh, so we are uh, steadily using the uh, the autopilot, uh, and also Darnell, his thinking phone, his Android keeps dinging. Oh, I you think he's got ear blind to it. No, let, let, let's just put close. That's, that's the, we're not talking about my Android. <laughs> Instead